Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, picture me with me, if you will, for just a moment, the perfect spring morning. Unlike today, it's 60 degrees and sunny, and you wake up and make your way downstairs for that first cup of coffee. After grabbing the cup of coffee in your Bible, you make your way out to your outdoor patio, and as you open the door, you're greeted to the sounds of the world waking up. You make your way across your patio, and you examine the beautiful landscaping that you have worked so hard to build, and you look at those perfect lines in your lawn. It's just meticulously taken care of. You take a seat in your Adirondack chair, and you can't help but wonder how it gets better than this. Now, this is not my lawn, and it's definitely not my life, okay? I've got two little boys, and uh, for now, I am sitting on the uh, driveway and watching the cars drive by uh, with my kids, because they love that too, right? But the, the reality is that this is not my yard, but it's a dream that I have for my yard. I wish that I had an outdoor space that looked just like that, that I could uh, go and sit and have a cup of coffee with or have friends over and just spend some time together. And uh, so me and my wife, we've, we've kind of taken some steps to try to make our yard go that direction. Now, when we bought our house, it was, it was the opposite of the yard I just described to you. Um, it was surrounded by this brownish, orange, I think it used to be red, I'm not really sure what color it was, uh, rotten out fence. On top of that, if you were to look at all of the flower beds, they were full of half weeds and half flowers to the point where um, if you're someone like me and you don't have a green thumb, you're like, I think this is a weed, might be a flower, I'm not really sure. On, on top of this, the grass was so bumpy uh, that walking through it, you could sprain an ankle. That was my yard. And so we decided that we were going to do something about it. And so last spring, uh, we took a weekend and we started to work towards that goal. We took that nasty old fence and we tore it down and uh, we filled in some of, the, some of the holes that were caused by that. And we went and cleaned out the flower beds and took out pretty much everything because it turns out there weren't flowers, it was just all weeds. Now, we, we were pretty proud of what we did over that first weekend, but here's the reality. If you were to go to my house right now and look at my yard, it looks no different than it did on that Monday last spring. Nothing has changed in my yard. You see, while I was really good at the, the demolition, the deconstruction portion of it, and I got down to a blank slate, I haven't done anything to build. I think this is a beautiful picture of a lot of times what we do with our language, what we do with our words. We take our words and we tear them down, but we never figure out how to build them back up again. You know, we've been in this series called The Weight of Your Words, and uh, Pastor Nathan started out this series and he talked about criticism. He talked about having a critical tongue, and what he did was, I don't know if you remember this, but he compared it to keying your own car door. Uh, in other words, he, he compared it to digging your key into the side of your pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. I'm sorry, I have to. Uh, you know, he took some time, and, and he explained to us what criticism does to our hearts, and it does to the people around us. And uh, last week, I was really excited, because uh, Adam talked about gossip, and talked about uh, the, the power that we have in our gossip. Right, he compared it to that tasty cake, right? Which I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but the recipe is up there now. So if you wanna try tasty cake, you go over there and you make yourself some tasty cake. But he talked about gossip and how gossip hurts everybody involved, including you. 
And then he ended it with this challenge. And I love this challenge. What he said was this. He said, if you're going to gossip about somebody, if you feel the need to tell uh, you know, something about somebody to someone else, go and encourage that person. Now, I love this because this plays right into what we're gonna be talking about today. And it's this thought of encouragement. Now, one of the key texts that we look at when it comes to encouragement comes from the book of Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter four. And uh, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus. And, and what, he's, what he's addressing is really messy people. Okay, the, the beautiful thing about the church in Ephesus is they have just as many problems as we do. They've got some gospers there. They got some complainers. They got some people that have been lying. And so he begins to address them. And we, we're gonna see this in verse 25 through 29. It says this, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that it may be something to share with those in need. And then we get to verse 29. Now, this is the verse that we are gonna be spending a lot of time in today. It looks like this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. See, Paul, he's addressing all of the sin that is going on in the church of Ephesus, especially when it comes to the language. It's kind of like this. Picture with me for just a moment that you found black mold in your bathroom, right? You went into your bathroom, found black mold growing everywhere. Well, what would you do? The, the first thing that you do is you tear down all of the drywall and the stuff that, that black mold was growing on, right? You take that thing and rip it down and you tear it down to the studs. And at that point in time, then you would start to rebuild. You see, the first portion of this passage is Paul saying that. Tear down the nasty stuff that's living in your life. Tear down the gospel. Tear down the criticism. Tear down the line. Tear down all of your brokenness so you can start fresh. Now, here's a problem that I think a lot of Christians have and struggle with, myself included. We are really good at tearing down. We're really good at tearing all the gossip and the stuff out of our lives, but then we don't do anything. It kind of leads to this thing that I like to call, I'm not sinning Christianity. It's like that, that kid in, in, in elementary school that would take his finger and poke it in your face and say, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you, right? It's the same thing that we're doing with God. We're like, well, I'm not sinning. Look at my language. It's clean. It's clean. It's a, it's a clean blank slate. I wasn't gossiping this week. I wasn't critical. I didn't lie. I didn't tell the whole truth, but I didn't lie, right? Or maybe it looks like this. I wasn't critical about my wife today, but then when I got in my car, the words that came out to my dashboard were very critical. See, I think for a lot of us, we get stuck in this place where we go, I'm not sinning. And here's the deal. We're all here at one point in time or another. All, all of us, every single one of us, we have to go down to our studs at some point in time when it comes to our language. We all have to struggle with tearing down the gossip and tearing down that stuff. But here's what I need you to understand. This is not where you're supposed to stay. While this is an important step, and if you, this week, if you've been taking the, the messages that we've had to heart and you've been tearing down gossip and tearing down criticism, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Whether you're online or in, in, in the room, I'm so proud of you. But now comes the time for change. See, just like my, my yard, now comes the time to build. We tore everything down. Now we're gonna build something 
new. This is the call that Paul writes uh, in verse 29 of Ephesians 4. See, he says, don't do all those things, but then he changes the, the words that he used, and he, and he says this, don't let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in needs that it gives grace to those who hear it. Another translation puts it this way. Only what is good for building up others according to their need. I, I love this thought of building. And so the question that, I, I, that comes into my mind is how do we as followers of Jesus go from a place of I'm not sinning, uh, go from a place of, uh, you know what? I didn't gossip this week, that's great. How do we build up lives that are encouraging? How do we build a life and a language that is so full of grace and encouragement that people can't help but wonder why we're so nice? How do we do this? Well, I believe that that's the question that we're gonna answer today. And I believe there's three steps that we can take as followers of Jesus to do exactly that, to take what we've tore down and rebuild it new. And the first step looks like this. We need to check our studs. We need to check our studs. Now, if, you, uh, if your bathroom had the black mold and you tore it down, the first thing that you would do after tearing down is you would examine the studs. You take a look at your foundation that you've gone down to and you check to make sure that they're solid. You'd look and make sure there's no rot going on. You make sure that there's no mold growing on. You make sure that uh, they're strong, that they can hold the weight of what you're about to put onto them. You see, the same is true of our speech. We need to go back to our basis. We need to go back to the studs of our speech if we're going to give lives encouragement. Why? Because the things that you cover up come out. The things that you cover up. If you try to build a life of encouragement based on uh, your, your faulty studs, guess what? It's gonna come out. Eventually, something is going to come out of that that you tried covering up many, many times. That's the way that this works. You'd be trying to build and all of a sudden you'd be like, man, where'd that gossip come from? Man, where did that criticism come from? I, I've been building. What, why does this come back? So we need to check our studs. Now, what are the studs of our language? It's our heart. It's the condition of our hearts. This is something that we've covered over the past. If you haven't noticed the trend, we've covered it the past three weeks. Because Jesus says it over and over and over again, that when it comes to your language and the way that you talk, it's not coming from your mouth, it's coming from your heart. Your heart is the studs of your communication. This is what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34 and 35. It says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whatever's in your heart's going to come out. A good man brings up good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings up evil things out of the evil stored up in him. You see, before we can even step towards becoming encouragers, becoming people that use our language to love on people, we need to check our studs. And I know this because this past week, I had to go back down to my studs because there was some broken stuff there. See, what we have to do is we have to look and see what the basis is. Because here's what's gonna happen. When you do that, you might notice some stuff. You go, oh my goodness, there's some pride there. I gotta tear down some pride. I've got some idols here that need to get taken down. I need to tear some idols down. Maybe it's selfishness. You say, Michael, I'm, I've got some selfishness under there. So the reality is that for me and you, our hearts matter. And on top of this, if you are a follower of Jesus, your heart, it's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. If you're building your language off the Holy Spirit, you are gonna see him show up in your language, in your encouragement. 
You won't be relying on yourself because the Holy Spirit's gonna be speaking through you as he dwells in your heart. It's the first thing that we need to do is we need to check our studs. The second thing that we need to do is this truth right here. We need to build our abilities. Build our abilities. See, once we've checked the studs, made sure that everything's good, now comes the hard part. Now comes the time where we have to start building. You know, the other day I was, uh, just had gotten done preaching for our students at Pathway Students, and uh, I had a student come up to me, little middle school boy came up to me, and he said, hey, Michael, I just wanna let you know I love your hair. I love your hair today. <laughs> and I, I thought he was punking me. I'm like, really? Oh, oh, okay, but he said that, and he walked away. Like, just... And so while I'm reeling, trying to figure out what just happened, his leader comes up to me and goes, hey, did so-and-so come up and encourage you? And I said, well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, uh, I think that was encouragement. I'm not really sure. He goes, yeah, well, he was talking during the sermon, so I told him he had to come and encourage you. Well, you see, I, I tell you that because the reality is that when it comes to encouragement, it's not easy. It's not something that is just easy to do. There's some people, God bless them, that it's a talent and a gifting that God's given them, and they just encourage people. For most of us, that's not us. For most of us, we have to grow and we have to learn. It's kind of like, it's, it's like swinging a hammer, right? If I were to take this hammer and give it to my four-year-old son, Liam, I, I can guarantee you one thing. It will not be used for the correct purpose. He might hold it wrong. He might swing it wrong. He might hit something that he shouldn't hit. Why? Because it takes training. Because he has to become familiar with this. Also, he's four, so, I mean, give him some time. But it takes training and time and to work towards this heart of encouragement. It's something that doesn't just happen. It's something that we have to work at day in and day out. This is where encouragement becomes hard because... Nobody wants to put in the work. So how do we do this? I wanna give you three practical steps that you can be taking this week to grow that muscle memory of encouragement, to learn the rhythm of how to encourage people. The first truth is this right here. We, if we wanna become encouraging people, we have to hang around people who are encouraging. We need to hang around people who are really good and encouraging. See, there's a reason uh, in, in the trades, whether you're talking about uh, becoming a carpenter or becoming uh, an electrician or a plumber, there's a reason that the first thing they do after they you know, have you sign the paperwork is they put you in apprenticeship with a bunch of people that know what they're doing. They don't take you and go, all right, here's a, here's a nail gun, just go figure that out. No, no, they put you with people that have been doing this for a long time that know what they're doing. Why? because those people are gonna train you up, because those people are going to help you grow and mature in what you are doing. The same is true of encouragement. This is something that we see in the book of Proverbs where it says this, it says that, uh, it says that bad company corrupts good character, that the people that surround us matter. There's a, a saying that I love that, that goes like this, you are the sum of your five closest friends. That's terrifying for some of us, but it's, it's reality. We are the sum of the five closest people in our lives. If we wanna become encouragers, we cannot surround ourselves with a bunch of pessimists and expect to become encouraging. It doesn't work like that. It's one of the reasons why we are so passionate about Pathway students, because we have this heart and this goal and this mission that we want kids to find Jesus, but also to find community with each other. 
so that they can build up intentionally people that push them to Jesus. It's the reason why we do camps like our Expeditions Unlimited Summer Camp that's coming up here. It's July 14th through the 17th. If you wanna learn more, come on and talk with me at Connect. I'd love to talk with you. There's gonna be a bunch of awesome stuff, cliff diving and uh, rock climbing and all sorts of crazy stuff. The reason we do it is to encourage students to come together and to find Jesus. If we want to become people of encouragement, we gotta start hanging around people who are encouraging. It's the first truth. The second is this. If we wanna become people who are encouraging, we have to encourage people daily. You wanna build up that wall of encouragement, you gotta put in the work. If you look at anybody who's truly great at anything, you'll notice one thing in common with all of them. It could be famous uh, Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'm sorry, I know it's fresh. I might have to have the SRT team come down and protect me for the rest of the service. Uh, Whether it's Aaron Rodgers throwing a pass or it's a master craftsman that's working on a, a project, they're good at something. Why? Because they practice. Because every single day they wake up and they do the, the, the practice. They continually work at it time and time again. If we wanna become people who encourage, we have to build our muscle memory of encouragement. We have to continue to work at making sure that encouragement is something that, that comes more naturally to us. It becomes something that's almost like instinct, that we become people that automatically go to encouragement. You know, it's kinda like swinging a hammer, right? The first couple times that you swing a hammer, you're probably a little clumsy. You're gonna miss the nail. I love what uh, one of our, our leaders, George Dixon, said to me after service, the, during the first service. He said, you know, they, they, call me, uh, they call me lightning when I first started using a hammer. I said, why is that? He said, because I never struck the same place twice. Um, <laughs> it takes time and effort to build up your ability to swing a hammer, right? The reality is that when you start, you might hit your hand a couple times. There might be some unwholesome talk that's coming out of your mouth, right? But we have to work and grow and build towards it. And so my encouragement to you is this week, I want you to become an encourager, even if you don't feel like it. Every single day, wake up and say, I'm going to encourage somebody today. Uh, When you walk out of here, you're gonna get a magnet that has Ephesians 4.29 on it. Put this on your fridge. Put this somewhere you're gonna see it. My challenge to you this week is to find three people in your life that you can encourage that you can intentionally find moments to encourage. It could be your spouse, it could be your kids, it could be your coworker, it could be anybody. Encourage people intentionally this week. The third thing that we can do to build up this muscle of encouragement is we can be specific in what we say. There's an old trade saying that, that goes like this. It says, measure twice, cut once, right? Measure twice, cut once. What does that mean? It means that details matter. In construction, details matter. In encouragement, details matter. I need you to understand this. The words that we speak, the words of encouragement are rarely half-hearted. Words that truly drive people to encouragement and to Jesus rarely are words that are just half-hearted. They're intentional. They are specific. Some of the best words that I've ever experienced being told over me wasn't about my hair. Uh, It wasn't about (laughs) my, my shirt. It wasn't about my job. It was about who I am as a person and who God created me to be. It's one of the reasons that I love my wife because she encourages me in that way. It's not something that she just kind of like throws out a side comment every once in a while. No, she encourages me to the heart of who God created me to be. If you need more example of this, think of how specific God gets when he talks about you. 
See, God doesn't just give these half-hearted compliments in your direction. He doesn't just say things half-heartedly. No, no, he says this. He says you're made in his image. He says that you are his friend. He says that you are somebody who is, is worth the cost. He says that you are a child of God. He says that you are justified. That's what God says about you. And if we wanna become people of encouragement, we need to get specific about how we encourage other people. Now, the, the third thing that we can do to build lives that show people encouragement is this right here. We can nail our why. We can nail our why. You know, can I be honest with you? Uh, if you came for the sermon from the dude that's got encouragement figured out, you're in the wrong church. <laughs> the reality is that I am horrible when it comes to encouragement. I'm not good at it naturally. Like, I'm so jealous of the people that just naturally are good at encouragement, because that's not me. That's not, what, that's not what I do. In fact, when uh, the staff heard that I was going to be preaching on encouragement, there was one person that audibly laughed. <laughs> audibly laughed at me. See, encouragement's not something I'm necessarily good at. And so over the past couple weeks, I've been uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to, to say to you, and I've been preaching the sermon back to myself over and over again. And see, the question that continually came into my, my mind when it came to encouragement is this, this question right here, why? Why should we encourage? I, I know what we can do to build encouragement, but why should we do it in the first place? And so I had a little experiment over the past two weeks. I've looked at every time that I encouraged somebody, and I wrote down the why behind it. And what I found was three different things that came up over and over and over again. The first one is this. I encouraged people to make them feel good. I encouraged people because I wanted them to have this, this feeling of goodness. The second thing that I, I did was I, I encouraged people because society said I should. Because everybody else was encouraging and so I felt the need to encourage as well. And the third thing that I saw come up over and over and over again was this. I encouraged people because I wanted to be encouraged. So the reality is that for me, this week, I had to go back to my studs because there was a little bit of selfishness in my life. There was some selfishness that needed to get tore out that I was seeing coming through the way that I encouraged other people. See, at the end of this week of, of looking at all these times, I had to stop and think there's gotta be more than this. God's not just calling us to encourage because people should feel good. He's not calling us to encourage just because uh, you know we want to feel good. There's something more to it. And here's why I love this question of why. Because the question of why does two things. It reveals our heart's condition. It's the first one. And the second thing that it does in our lives is it, it takes our lives and it takes whatever that subject is for why and it shows us how much work it's worth. See, here's what I realized in analyzing my why. That because of the selfishness in my life, the moment that people didn't compliment me back, I stopped complimenting. See, the moment that it became something where society wasn't expecting me to do it, I didn't do it. When I didn't think the compliment would make people feel good, I didn't do it. It wasn't worth, worth the work. See, this is the opposite of what Paul is calling us to. Opposite of the way that Jesus is calling us to build, the why behind what we're doing. See, we see that why in verse 29, where it says this. This is the CSB translation. I love the way that it puts this. It says, but 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come into your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear it. So it brings grace. Two things that Paul is calling us to when it comes to our why. He's saying there's a need out there in our world. There's a need that needs to be filled and we don't have to look far to realize that there's a lot of hopelessness in our world and we are that hope. The second thing is that the language we have, the why, should be to bring grace into people's life so that they see Jesus, so that they see our Savior through the way that we talk. This is so much bigger than I'm not sinning Christianity. This is something that is a call over our lives. Why do we do this? Why do I do this? Because I want my language, the language I say, the words that I speak, I want it to look like this. I don't want it to be simply, I'm not sinning Christianity, where I go, I'm not sinning God, I didn't gossip today. I'm not sinning God, I wasn't critical today. No, I want my language to be inviting. I want the way that I speak to drive people to Jesus because I just can't help but tell them about it. Because I wanna tell them about this God that changed my life radically. See, folks, I need you to understand this right here. We don't encourage people to make them feel good. We encourage people to make them know God. We encourage people to make sure that they know our Savior, the, the, the one who died on the cross for our sin. And as I've worked through this why, this want for my language to look like this, it led me to a call that I feel like is over my life that comes from the book of Colossians. It's Colossians 4, 5, and 6, where it says this, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Pathways, here's the question that I wanna ask you today. Are you making the most of every opportunity? Every time you're, you open your mouth, is this what it looks like? Does it bring grace? Or is it just this broken, I'm not sinning Christianity that you're showing the world? Because the church has more to offer than just I'm not sinning. Jesus has more to offer than I'm not sinning. He's got this grace that is incredible that can radically alter the way that we live our lives. So the reason this is so important is that when you build your language and your life to look like this, God uses your giftings, God uses your story, and he uses your brokenness to show the world Jesus. See, like this plant that gives off oxygen, your words become life-giving. That when you speak, people experience life through your words in a way that they've never experienced before. That like, uh, like, like, like my Bible, there's wisdom that comes out of your words. That as you speak encouragement over uh, the people in your life, wisdom comes from that. They can't help but hear the wisdom of God working through you as the Holy Spirit changes your heart. Kind of like a raincoat, when you are in the midst of a storm, those words become a covering. When your coworkers are walking through a really hard thing, when they're walking through a storm of their own, you become a covering. You become this encouragement that is draped over their shoulders as they walk through it. They say, I'm not alone. you're not alone in this. I'm with you. And most importantly, above all, when you build your life and your language on grace, when you build your life to look like this, the things that are important to you start to come out. Your words begin to communicate the importance of, of things in your life. 
whether it be your family, whether it be your, your friends, whether it be your love, but most importantly, your, your savior. When you build your life on grace, your words begin to communicate to everybody who you serve and why you serve him because he's worthy of serving. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you walked in with. You may be somebody today that you gotta tear down some stuff. You got some mold growing in your life and you need to rip that stuff down. You need to follow the words of Paul and destroy that. You may be here today and you gotta look at those studs because what's been revealed to you is that the studs of your life are faulty. There's some selfishness there that needs to get ripped out. There's some pride. There's an idol that needs to get ripped out of your life today. You know, I also know this, that like me, a lot of you probably are in, in, in the process of building. We're under construction. When it comes to our language, we're under construction and we're working on it. Here's the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit's working through you when you do that. But that doesn't mean that you, you don't have to do the work. So what I wanna do as we close today is, you know, normally in a church setting, we would have you raise your hands, but here's what I want you to do. This is, as much as we've, we're talking about words, it's the actions that lead to these words. And so what I want you to do is tomorrow morning, when you get up on that beautiful, perfect spring day, and you work your way down those stairs to grab that cup of coffee and have the kids wake, wake up right then and, and just, you know, derail everything. Take a moment, and I want you to pray a prayer. And what that prayer looks like is this. Heavenly Father, make me an encourager today. Make me somebody that encourages other people. Help me to build life and language that's grace-giving and I want you to pray that prayer. And then I want you to go do it. And then on Tuesday, I want you to do the same thing. And Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. I want this to become a pattern. This is something that I'm committing to do in my life. That every single day this week, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna say that prayer. Heavenly Father, make me an encourager to my wife. Make me an encourager to my kids, to my small group, to my friends, to my family, to my community, to my church. Make me an encourager. Work in me, Holy Spirit, as I submit myself to you, that I'm gonna be that person. Now, here's what I also know. I also know that for some of you, you walked in today, and this whole Jesus thing is new. Or, or, or maybe you've been following Jesus for, for a while, and you've been coming to church for a little bit, and you're not really sure uh, if your salvation is cured or whatever the case may be for you. Whether you're here in the room or online, if you're walking through that today, and you need some hope, you need some encouragement, uh, I wanna encourage you. See, earlier in this message, we talked about what God says about you, and I wanna add something to it. I wanna tell you something that God says about you. It comes from the book of Romans 5, 8, where it says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. See, what I wanna communicate to you today straight from the mouth of, of, of God is this. You are worth dying for. And that God sent his son to die on a cross for you so that you could spend eternity with him. Now, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you're in this room today or if you're online today and you'd say, I want Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, 
I want you to just raise your hand all across this place. If you're online, you can type in, I'm giving my life. Thank you, I see you guys in the back. I see you over here, thank you. I see you up here, thank you. This is the most incredible thing that you're gonna have the option to do in your entire life. Now, one of my favorite things about Pathways is we do life together. We do community together and we pray together. So if you will, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Right now, I ask you to come into my life. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Heavenly Father, help me to live a life that is set after you. I repent for my sins and turn to you. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, church, can we celebrate that? Can we celebrate what's happening today? Can we celebrate that lives are being changed? That whether it's here in the room or online, there are people that are changing their lives by following Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is coming to move and work in their lives.